Praise the Lord. I don't know if we can imagine the circumstances at the time when Christ was approaching Jerusalem. People were yelling, Hosanna! Hosanna in the highest! Blessed be the name! Blessed be the name! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna! It wasn't just a Hosanna. They were yelling. They were carrying on. This was a jubilant situation here. Yeah, I want to pray. Father, I need to fully surrender to you, Lord. I need you every moment of every day. We all need you every moment of every day. God, please clear and block every distraction. Please, Father, I, I plead the blood of Christ upon this building that everyone here would be covered. Please let your Holy Spirit speak through me, Lord, and, and use me, Father. I ask that you would place your word upon my tongue and let each of us hear and understand what you are speaking to this church today. We know the church is the people, it's not the building. And I ask that you would let us to see and let us to perceive what it is that you have for us. Take a hold of me and use me to proclaim your word, Father. Help me to speak clearly and concisely. I, I surrender for your use. And I ask that you would give me unction to speak what we all need to hear. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> The Hebrew meaning for the word Hosanna is, oh, save, oh, save. They were acknowledging him as the Messiah. They were looking at him as this one who was going to deliver them. He was going to deliver them from the Roman oppressors. At least that's what they thought. They thought that he was going to deliver them from this bad government that had taken over their land. But that wasn't what he was going to do. But that's what they thought he was going to do. And so they're having this big blowout. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. We've had children at times march in and wave the palm leaves and, and yell, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, because the children were doing that at that time. And we look in the gospel records and we see that all four gospel records bring something to bear upon this event. They tell us what happened, some with more detail, some with less. The people were recognizing this one that we call Jesus as their Savior, but they were only thinking in earthly terms. They weren't thinking in spiritual terms or eternal terms. So we are going to look at the four gospel records, the accounts that are written there, to see what the big picture is of what was happening and what happened. And so I want us to open God's Word to the 21st chapter of Matthew's gospel record. We're not starting there for any particular reason except that it's written there, and it provides a good bit of detail. Mark's gospel record provides less detail. John's gospel record provides different details. And you'll find that if you're looking on uh, your in your books there, in the, in the books that are in the seats, you'll find that on page 15, 
25, if I remember correctly, 1525. And what we hear Matthew tell us is an account. It's not a story. It's an account. It is a recorded account of what took place from the information that he had gathered, perhaps some of it from his perspective when he was present, and perhaps some of it from others. Matthew was a tax collector, a former tax collector. Christ called him out of tax collecting, which was a good thing for Matthew. And so Matthew brings it this way. Now, when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, now wait a minute, are you telling them to steal a donkey? That's what it sounds like. If anybody says anything to you, now he knew somebody would, anybody says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. And all this was done that it might be fulfilled. What would be fulfilled? The prophecy that foretold this very event, this very thing, that it would be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? All the city was asking, Who is this? And so the multitude said, This is Jesus. Actually, the name was Yahashua. We call him Jesus. This is Yahashua, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. And then he went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Not all of the gospel records include that detail. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David, they were indignant. 
and said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read? He's reading from Psalms now. Psalm 8, 2, I believe it is, 2 and 3 maybe. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise. Have you never read that? Don't you get it? You're, you're the religious leaders. You're the teachers. You should know this. Then he left them, went out of the city to Bethany, and he lodged there. Now in the morning as he returned to the city, he was hungry, and seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it but leaves and said, let no fruit grow on you again, and immediately the fig tree withered away. Meek and mild Jesus killed a fig tree. I know that wasn't part of their reading, that's why she doesn't have a slide for it. But obviously God wanted us to hear that. (sighs) Heavenly Father, I... I will bless your holy name. You alone have given me counsel. Please anoint all of our eyes that we may see. Anoint our ears that we would hear. Help us, Father. Help us that we would turn from anything that displeases you and become more like Christ. Cleanse us from any secret faults and use your Holy Spirit to transform us into surrendered vessels for your use, I pray. In Christ's name and all of God's people said. As I said, all four gospel records contain the main elements of this, what we just read. The written accounts tell us that this one we call Jesus and his band of people His closest disciples were traveling to Jerusalem for this big festival. Everybody was traveling to Jerusalem. Many, many multitudes of people, some say millions of people, would have descended upon Jerusalem and the surrounding area for the Passover, the celebration of when God had spared His people from the angel of death that He had sent because they were obedient by placing the blood of the lamb, the spotless lamb, on the doorposts and the lentils. And the written accounts tell us that as they drew near to Jerusalem, they entered the town called Bethphage. Some say Bethphage, Bethphage. And that was near Mount Olives, Mount of Olives, Mount Olivet. Now, I want you to note that this was a time of the Passover, and lots of people were there, and there was a lot going on. There were a lot of people traveling into the region, so the roads would have been well-traveled. Now, they didn't have pavement like us, and they didn't have cars and trucks like we do. They had animals, and animals eat, and when they eat, they release what they've eaten. So it's on the roads, okay? The roads are covered. you got to keep that in mind, because without that little detail... You're not going to comprehend what was happening when the people were throwing their clothes down on the road. Passover was that celebration that God had instituted as a festival because He had spared His people who were obedient. And three of the gospel writers let us know that Christ sent two disciples to fetch a donkey. A donkey. If he was going to send them to fetch anything, he could have fetched a, a steed. 
a mighty, powerful horse that he could ride into town as the king, his grand entrance into Jerusalem. John mentions the young donkey, but he only says that Christ found the donkey and rode on it. He doesn't give any more detail than that. <clears throat> Mark 11.2 and Luke 19.30 relate the fact that Jesus told them they'd find a colt, but there's a detail in there that we could overlook when we're reading, if we're reading too fast. He says, upon which no one had previously sat. Nobody had ever ridden this animal. Now, if you know anything about donkeys... They don't necessarily like to be ridden, and they're very stubborn, sort of like people who resist the Lord. Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell us that our Lord told them, if anyone asked why they're taking it, they were to say He needed it. It was for Him, because obviously these people would have known Him, and He knew that they would have known. And those whom He sent obeyed Him. Now, if the Lord tells you, go get a donkey, because I'm going to ride it into town, are you going to say, well, okay, or are you going to try, wait, wait a minute, you know, Lord, that's not the way to do this, because you really want to gain respect, and the only way you're going to get respect, because you're going in here to take over, okay, you're going to rule, you're establishing David's throne. They didn't argue with him, they just went and did what he said to do. They fetched the animal, told the owners that he needed it, and they brought it to him. And Matthew 21 and verse 4 says that all of this was done that it might be fulfilled. As I said earlier, the prophets had foretold. And in Matthew 21, 5 says, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly, humble. Humble is the idea there, sitting on a donkey, a colt, a baby donkey, not even a full-size donkey. A baby. And John tells us, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. That's in John 12 and verse 15. And where is that found? Well, if we look in Isaiah chapter 62 and verse 11, we hear Isaiah says, Indeed, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the world, Say to the daughter of Zion, Surely your salvation is coming. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. And then when we look at Zechariah, it's almost word for word. Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9, it is written, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. He was fulfilling prophecy. Messianic prophecy. And so there are those who argue that, well, you know, it's possible he wasn't the Messiah. He fulfilled Messianic prophecy repeatedly. There's no arguing that this one that we call Jesus was, in fact, the one foretold. And the people then knew. They knew he was the one. They knew, they comprehended that He was the one that was foretold, but they didn't get it right in their minds. They did not comprehend what it was that was written that He was actually going to accomplish. They missed that sacrifice part. They missed the Lamb of God part. They missed the fact that He was going to die. 
The people were recognizing him as the one who was fulfilling the messianic prophecies, but they got it wrong. The Savior had arrived, and they were excited. They were excited. They were carrying on. This was a big celebration. And here he came. He's the one. And they make it known that the, the, the Matt, Matthew, Mark, and Luke make it known that the disciples. Do you ever smell a donkey? Anybody? They took their own clothes and they laid it on the donkey as a makeshift saddle for him. They took their own clothes and they threw their clothes on the ground to make a path for him. That struck me as I was studying this. I'm thinking, okay, um, I don't have any really expensive clothes. If I did, I don't know if I could throw them down in the mud and manure and urine and all those things that would have been on the road. But I'm guessing if it was him, I probably would. What do I care about that garment for? It doesn't make any difference. He's the king. He's the one. And so they make this makeshift saddle for him. They're happy that he's come. They know that he's the one. And, you know, a lot of people just overlooked that little detail that they made a saddle for him out of their own clothes. But they willingly made this sacrifice. I'm guessing they could have washed it, and it would, the smell of the donkey would have come out of that in that particular instance, would have come out of the clothes. But we can't overlook that they were throwing their clothes on the road. They're taking their clothing that they were wearing, and they're throwing it out underneath of where He's going to walk. And they're saying, Hosanna! Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. They wanted to make a clean path for Him. What they didn't realize was He was making a clean path for them. They willingly made that sacrifice because they thought He was going to deliver them from physical bondage. They were in bondage to the Roman government. They were in bondage, and they thought He was going to set them free from that. You know, that guy we hear of called Barabbas, that's what he tried to do. He tried to set them free from the Roman occupation. They put him on a cross where they were going to until he was released. All four gospel records tell of the people praising God at his coming. The people knew. They absolutely knew. So there were some that would say, well, you know, they didn't really know. They just thought they knew. No, they knew. They were praising God because they knew he was the fulfillment of the messianic prophecies. He was the one. And I've got to stress that, folks. Because we sit in seats like this and we say, we know He's the one. We know. Blessed is He who came in the name of the Lord. But you know He's coming back. But the question is, do we realize what that's going to look like? They missed the mark. And I pray, I pray to God that we don't. These were people that were well-educated in God's Word. And we know that He was not coming to set them free from government tyranny. That wasn't happening. 
That was not what this was about, but that's what they thought it was about. In Matthew chapter 21 and verse 9, we read this. It is written, Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And then in Mark chapter 11, verses 9 and 10, we hear it this way. Then those who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David. Messianic prophecy. They knew. It comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And then Luke, in chapter 19, he gives it this way then. As he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. You hear that little detail? They had seen the mighty works that he had done. And they were praising God for those works. And blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And John puts it this way. The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus, Yahashua, was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of palm trees. They went out to meet him, and they cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. You can't miss the fact that they got it wrong. Everything in God's Word is for our edification. It is all there so that we don't make the same mistakes that they made. That's one of the reasons why it's there. As we read the four accounts of this event, we find four different endings also. Conclusions to their accounts are different. They have different details. In Matthew, we, we heard that he, when he had come to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is the prophet of Nazareth. Jesus said, Yahashua. <clears throat> if you look at his name, it really is Yahashua. It's not Jesus. There was no J in our language till the 1700s. Anyway, this is a detail that the other writers did not include. The city was abuzz with amazement. Who is this guy? Who is he? What, what, what's all this fuss about? Who, what, come on. What, what's going on here? The whole city? What's going on? Who is this guy? Who's this guy you're raving about? Yahashua, the prophet of Nazareth. And Matthew goes on to say that he went, Christ went into the temple of God, drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers. Now, many places don't even like to talk about this because they they push this Jesus is so love. Jesus is all love. He loves everybody. He would never do such a thing as that. He must have got it wrong. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves, and he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. And when he comes into our hearts, he's doing the same thing. He's got a whip of cords, and he's beating all that stuff out of us. And we don't like to think of it that way. He's chasing those devils out of us. He's chasing all of that sin out of us. And we want to say, oh, we just submit to him, and all of a sudden everything's better. Well, let me tell you, folks, 
The Christ that I serve, the real living Christ, I don't want you to get it wrong. I want you to understand. He's here to deliver you, to save you, to take you out of all that mess so that you don't have misunderstandings, so that you do not have those things that those people had. You need to know who he is. He's not just this meek-mouthed, soft-spoken guy. Yes, he is that, but not just that. He's also the guy that made that whip premeditated. Is a word we'd use today. He premeditated his assault upon those people who were doing it wrong. He didn't come in to take over the government. He came over to take he came in to take over the church. The people of God were the ones that he took over. They were the ones that he commanded control over. And we don't like to think of that. We sing, I surrender all, I surrender all, all to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. But do we really? Do we really? Are we really surrendering to the Messiah of God? Are we allowing Him to cleanse and purge our hearts of everything that displeases God? Or are we living in our sin and saying, thank you, Jesus, I get to go to heaven in my sin? And we need to get it right, folks. We must get it right. We must absolutely get it right. This is an important point we have to understand. Because too much of the church today is preaching this mamby-pamby Jesus who accepts you as you are and doesn't try to change you. And that's not the one that's in the Bible. It's another Christ. All of this information is for our edification. It's to help us to not do what they've done. You know, Matthew tells us, the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. Mark says that he left. doesn't give the details. Mark obviously wasn't there. Matthew says, when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the Son of David, they were indignant. They were angry. They were upset. They were offended. They were resentful. Who does he think he is? You hear what he's doing? You see what's going on? Do you hear what they're saying? The top religious officials, the ones that he came to overrule, were the ones that were indignant. This traveling preacher had just upset their racket. And that's what it was. You heard him call them a den of thieves or making God's people their merchandise. They were making money on everybody. There was only one coin that was accepted for the payment to, at, the, at the temple, and that was a silver coin, and they sold those silver coins. People came from all around and from different lands, and they brought whatever money they had, some with paper and some with coins, and they would say, okay, we need these to, to, to worship, to pay our payment, our tithe, or whatever it was that they were paying. <clears throat> and these uh, religious leaders would sell them to him. Let's just say this is a, a note from my country, and it has a particular value. And I give you that, and then you give me something of lesser value. No, you give me something of more value. No, you give me something of equal value, but you charge me more for it. That's what they were doing. 
were adding. So if you, let's say, put it into dollar terms, if you needed a dollar to come into this building, and I'm the only one that has the dollars, you have all, all kinds of things. And I know what you have is worth more than what I'm giving you. That's called usury, and I'm taking from you something that does not belong to me. That's called theft. That's why Christ called them a den of thieves. What they were doing was wrong. It was absolutely wrong. And that's why he was so upset. That's why he was chasing them out of there. He said, you hear what these are saying? His notoriety was threatening their future prophets too. Don't let that slip by. Because it was just a week later that they were inciting a riot against him to have him murdered. They didn't want their game to be revealed. They were holding everything close to the chest. This is mine and you're not going to get it. They yelled at him, do you hear what these are saying? And he replied, yes, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants? You have perfected praise. And he's quoting there Psalm 8-2. In Luke chapter 19, we hear this, and some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered and said, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would cry out. Do you think God needs your praise? Do you think that God can't raise up praise from the rocks? God doesn't need any of us. We need Him. We need Him. Each and every one of us need Him. And we need to be those who are like the stones. We're like any stone. And too much of the church today is saying it's all about you. But Christ himself said, you don't praise him, the rocks will. Putting you on equal ground with the rocks. Think about that, folks. We've got a whole parking lot full of rocks out there. If we don't praise God, he could raise up praise right from that parking lot, right out of the rocks themselves. That's what our Lord said. Don't think for a moment that you're more important than you are to him. He loves you because you're part of the world that He so loved that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever, whoever, whosoever believes in Him would what? Not perish. The Pharisees, these religious leaders, they were furious. You see... Matthew says, then he left him and went out of the city to Bethany, and he lodged there. John tells us the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of his tomb. Now, see, we get a detail there. These people who were yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Many of those people, or some of them at least, were there when he raised Lazarus out of the tomb. They saw this Jesus, this Yahashua, His buddy was in the tomb for four days. Nobody had ever come out of the grave after four days. And his Lazarus' sister said, you're late, you're too late. He's been dead for four days. And he said, this is so that the glory of God would be revealed. It was so the glory of God would be revealed. Nobody had ever come out of the grave after four days. 
And it was so bad that the sister said, Lord, it's going to stink. He's been dead four days. It's going to stink. And there were people there, and they're like, okay, i got to see this. I have got to see this. What's he going to do now? This guy's been in that tomb for four days. What's he going to do now? Now, this is John giving us little detail here that the people, some of the people who were praising him, who were yelling Hosanna to, to, to this Messiah, they saw this. They were there. They witnessed it. He called Lazarus out of the tomb, raised him from the dead, and these people were bearing witness to the Messiah entering Jerusalem. And for this reason, the people also met him because they heard that he had done this sign. So tell me, if you see somebody coming out of the grave after four days and you see that that man is alive and he was not alive, what does that do to you? i got to tell everybody, you should have seen this. I was there. I saw it with my own eyes. He brought him right up out of the grave. He was dead. Everybody knew he was dead. He was in that tomb for four days, and now he's alive. Can you believe it? And they're yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us. This is what they wanted. They wanted that Savior, the Messiah, the one who was going to come in the name of the Lord and deliver them from evil. And the Pharisees, they said, it's written in John chapter 12 and verse 19, you see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Say, man, he's messed everything up. The whole world's going after him. Our racket's shot. we got to do something about this. And we find in other scriptures that it's written they've started to plot his death. Well, they were plotting his death repeatedly, but now it was done. It was a sealed deal. There was a warrant out for his arrest. He was going to be nailed. That was it. He was done. He knew it. They knew it. But all these people, maybe the majority of them didn't know it. They didn't know that he was a dead man. And they're praising and worshiping God, thanking God that this man was coming into Jerusalem at the Passover. And don't let that slip past you because this was God's deliverance coming into Jerusalem. They didn't understand these things. It's written in John chapter 12 and verse 16. The disciples didn't understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, in other words, after He rose from the grave... They remembered these things were written about him and they and that they had done these things to him. See, now you've got the whole picture. I've listened to different preachers at different times in my life, and most recently I listened to a couple just to hear, okay, what did this big guy say? What did that big guy say? Some of them are dead now, but I listened, one just brought it from Mark. And Mark ends it abruptly. Yep, that's it. It ended, you know, he went, he left, and then he talks about something about his dog and his cat and who knows what else. I'm like, why aren't we talking about the Scripture? Why is there such a hunger for God's Word and the preachers in this land are not bringing the Word of God to bear upon that hunger? God has set a famine for His Word. He says He will, and I believe He has. I believe that's where we are, folks. And we can't let that slip past us. We need to comprehend that it is God's Word that saves us. Christ is our Savior. He is the living Word. We have to know that the annual celebration of Passover was fulfilled in Christ. We're not required 
any longer to celebrate the Passover. I don't believe there's any harm in celebrating it, but we're not required. Christ is our Passover. In fact, it's written in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, and this is the second part of that verse, for indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. We're going to look more at this passage, the full passage, in a couple of weeks. And you see, it's fitting for us to remember the sacrifice that He made. He is our Passover. He spilled His blood to cover our sin, to protect us. The wages of sin is, everybody, death. His friend Lazarus had been dead, and he was buried long enough not to come back. But this prophet of Nazareth told him, roll away the stone. Roll away the stone. And he called Lazarus. Lazarus, come forth! Lazarus, come forth! And the Scripture says He did. Christ is calling everyone who's dead in sin to come out of that sin. It's a tomb. They're buried in it. They need to come out of it. Who wouldn't follow a guy like that, huh? wouldn't follow a guy like that. He calls a dead guy out of the ground. Hey, and I, I've mentioned many times before, we got a cemetery over here. Can you imagine Christ comes, hey, let's go. <laughs> I don't know how people would react to that. I'm guessing some would faint. Some would run. But others would glorify God. Sad thing is, he was the most, not- the most notable miracle worker ever. And who wouldn't be drawn to such a miracle worker? And I believe this is why we have so many fake healers around today. Oh, we've got real people who can lay hands on people and bring healing. There's no doubt about that. But we've got a lot of fakes and phonies. We've got those who are chasing after signs and wonders. And what we're doing, what we're seeing, I believe, with our own eyes, is what we're seeing is exactly what's written here. They want something that isn't theirs. They want something that's different from what God wants. And they're running around the world. They want notoriety, and they want bigger crowds. And I've seen it myself. I've been to meetings myself where people have not been healed. But the fake healer, faith healer, faith healer, fake healer, faith healer, they, they'll proclaim that somebody was healed. Now, I've been present whenever people were actually genuinely healed. I've personally laid hands on people, and some people have been healed, and some people haven't been healed. And I can't explain that to you. All I know is by faith, we must walk. Multitudes of people spread the word about this Yahashua, this uh, itinerant preacher from Nazareth, the prophet who brought a dead guy back to life. Uh, The word was spreading rapidly. This is that guy. And then just one week later, some of those very same people, they're standing there as he's been whipped, beaten, bloody, and they're yelling, crucify him. Crucify him! They weren't whispering, crucify him. They were at the top of their lungs. We want him dead. 
He's not who we thought he was. We thought he was going to deliver us from the Romans. Turns out he's not. We don't want this guy. Give us the other guy. At least he tried to deliver us from the Romans. We thought he was going to save us. We believed he was giving us physical freedom. We thought we won. I have never heard anybody preach the truth about that. They always skirt around it. You see, because all these multitudes of people, they wanted something for themselves. And there's so many in the body of Christ, I will say in the church, the true body of Christ, the, the blemish-free bride of Christ, of whom many or maybe most of you belong to, is not doing that. They thought he was going to save them from the Roman occupation. They thought he was there for them individually. They personalized it. But they were wrong. They couldn't have been more wrong. We know looking back because hindsight's twenty twenty, right? We've got the records. We can look at the records. We can say, okay, he came. They thought this. They were wrong. And uh, what really happened was he was crucified. He was dead. He was buried. And then... As we will look at next week, he was raised from that grave. And that is the central message of our faith. Because he lives, we live. That is something worth praising God for. And next Friday, we're going to have a service here, Friday afternoon, 1 o'clock, I believe it is. And we're going to remember the sacrifice that he made. I'm not sure exactly how God's going to do that yet, or how, what that's going to look like. There's also a crosswalk through the town here. If anybody wants to join in on that, we're welcome. We've been invited to participate. But we're going to have a service here to remember his death, his burial, his sacrifice. It's a somber occasion. And it's important that we recognize this, not because it's a biblical concept of doing it, but it's important to our faith to comprehend what He did so that we can recognize the value of what we have. I pray nobody misunderstands who this one we call Jesus is. His mission was to teach the way of life and then to give His life in exchange for ours, for all who would follow the way that He taught. Selfless submission to the will of Almighty God. His mission was to teach the way of life. His blood shed was the final sacrifice to atone for sin. There needs to be no other. Does anybody recognize it? Do we get that? Because there are some who say that they've got to do this sacrifice. There's a sacrifice. We're sacrificing our lives. We are giving our lives. We are living sacrifices. And His Word instructs us to do that. But there's no more blood shed for the atonement of sins. His was the final atonement. He made us at one with God. He paid with His life 
For indeed, as it's written in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. And when we get that, we won't be where they were. We will not be among those who are Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, because we think He's giving us something He's not. And we won't be among those who are yelling, crucify Him, crucify Him, because we're not getting what we want. As I wrap this up, I want to remember, and I want you all to remember, that His way is the way. The way. There's one way. One way. One way. He promised to return, and we're to seek Him in all ways every day, every single day. Remember, when He returns, this will be His grand entrance. See, what they saw was a figure or a picture of what we're going to experience. He's cleansing His temple, folks. You know, we, the people of Christ, are the temple. We are the living temple. We are each stones being built up to be that temple. And He's cleansing the temple. He is cleansing the temple. Get that right now. He's got that whip of cords, and He's cleaning the temple. And He has to. Can't dwell in a den of thieves. We can't steal salvation. We can't steal God's grace. We cannot steal anything that God has for us. It is by grace, through faith, and not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. He's coming for a pure and spotless bride. I personally happen to be of the thought that it might be closer than anybody else imagines. It might be closer than any of us think. I could be wrong, and I hope that 10 years from now somebody says, well, pastor, you know, 10 years. I don't know when he's coming back. I don't know when he's going to enter, but I know this. We need to be ready for him. We need to be prepared to receive him. And what many people think about His coming is different from what it actually is and what's about to take place when He comes. He came as a servant to redeem humankind from sin and from death. And I pray that each of us is truly ready when He comes, when He brings that grand entrance, because He's coming to take all of us And we may differ in our opinion about how that's going to happen. Read Matthew chapter 24 and see if you can get some clarity on that. I've had people ask me these questions all the time. Well, what do you think about this? And what do you think about that? And I said, well, let's read what he said. Not what somebody else said. Let's read what he said. Let's start there as our base, our foundation. And then we can look at the other things that other people said, and we can see how they apply to what he said. And this is where much of the church has gotten off track. We forget to look at what He said. Instead, we look at the writings of this one or that one or another one or somebody that came 500 years ago instead of 2,000 years ago. Let us all be prepared so that we're not thinking He's bringing something that He's not or that He's doing something that He's not. 
so that we are ready for what He's actually bringing. And it is going to be salvation for all who believe. I pray that each of us is among them, truly among those who believe. If there's anybody here that needs prayer today, please, I want you to come forward. I don't usually do an altar call, but I feel strongly that maybe somebody needs prayer. Well, if you need prayer for someone else, we can do that. Yeah, sure. I don't see why not. If there's anyone that needs prayer, anybody would like to pray, let's um, come forward, please. Father, we lift uh, Alberta's friend up and we ask that You would bless them. God, whatever they need, You know the need. You know what's happened here. We ask Your blessing on them in Christ's name. Believing, we receive. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Now let's, um, let's pray as a congregation. Father, we've heard Your Word. Your Word is true. We know what is written is true. Help us, Lord, not to read more into it, but help us not to skip over things either. That we would comprehend, Lord, that Christ is coming. His grand entrance is about to take place. In the big picture of things, we know that 2,000 years have passed, and with you, that's just like two days. And if this world needs to wait another day, Lord, I think we're in real deep trouble. But Father, Your will be done, not ours. May we all be ready at the coming of Christ and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.